We're going to be considering the second part of the story of the two sons, so if you would turn to Luke chapter 15, I'll begin at verse 25 to the end of the chapter. Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Father, please bless these words to our souls. Awaken us to the various dangers that are Uh, often present even in our state of grace, for our hearts are deceitful and they tell us uh, lies and we must have these lies confronted and exposed by the truth. And so expose the truth to our hearts now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, one of the uh, most difficult truths to wrap our heads around in uh, Christian living is that self-righteousness is harder to overcome than reckless, sinful living in terms of the gospel. And there are many advantages on the surface to self-righteousness in the sense that generally they are outwardly law-abiding citizens, uh, society Uh, in part functions because people uh, are outwardly moral and uh, sometimes they are very religiously moral people. And so on the one hand, there are certain benefits to self-righteousness in terms of just how society functions when you look at the uh, contrary, which would be everyone going and engaging in any type of sin they feel uh, is permissible for them to do. Uh, Society does not function well because of thieves, people who steal. Um, Store prices have to take into account theft, and so we end up paying more for goods because of theft. Um, Prostitution, drugs, and so on and so forth leads to ill in society. And so on the one hand, when looking at society in general, uh, it makes sense to us that we would prefer the 
self-righteous person when faced with the choice between a self-righteous person who actually uh, seeks to be good in society versus the person who uh, engages in reckless living. But the kingdom doesn't quite work in that way. And what we find in this parable is this principle. Now, the older brother, he's been in the background so far. And remember, he almost comprises 40% of this story. So he's not a small uh, add-on to the story, but rather a significant part with which the story is not complete if we don't understand the workings of the heart of the older brother. Now there's a celebration. And the question we have to ask is, will he be there? Uh, There is a celebration. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we be there? And this is the story that is before us. There is a celebration. It is a kingdom celebration. And we have to say, how do we partake of this celebration? Or will we be left outside of the celebration looking in? Now, the older son is in the field. He is not celebrating at this point in time. And at this point in time, it may be the case that he joins the celebration as the story is being said by our Lord. He is in the field And as he comes to draw near to the house, he hears music and dancing. We don't know precisely how long after the father has embraced the younger son, this party began. It surely was quickly done. How quickly, we do not know, but we know it is quickly enough that the older brother is now finding out about some celebration that is taking place, and he draws near. And he calls one of the servants instead of going in. And you wonder why he didn't go in. But he calls one of the servants and asks him what these things meant. We don't know if his greatest fears were perhaps being realized. We don't know if he had some inkling of precisely what was going on and so did not want to go in. But what we do know is he calls the servant out. And the servant comes out and speaks to him. And when you look at the way in which the servant speaks, it's just the bare facts. There doesn't appear to be any emotion in the language. Verse 27, and he said to him, these are bare facts. Your brother has come. He doesn't say, isn't it wonderful? I have great news. Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, if there are no real emotions in verse 27, the emotions sure escalate from this point onwards. And he is aware now of what precisely has taken place and is taking place. And remember, if he had some inkling of what was happening, which is why he remained outside and would not go in and called the servant to him, now his fears have been confirmed. And you wonder if over those years where the younger brother was away in his reckless living, whether the older brother didn't see the pain on his father's face, didn't know that his father was not the same person ever since his son left, 
and so saw how much the father loved the younger son. And who knows what thoughts the older brother had over these years. And now his greatest fear is realized that the younger one is back. And not only is he back, but there is a party and a celebration. So notice verse 28. Instead of being compassionate, instead of being joyful, instead of being happy, he was angry and refused to go in. The father's first reaction is compassion. The older brother's first reaction is anger. And up until this point, we have no reason to believe that the older brother was anything but a fine person. He had done nothing wrong. He had not asked for his inheritance. He only received his inheritance because the younger brother had. And all we read of is that the younger brother is the one who has sinned, not the older brother. But here is the first sign of a wicked, unregenerate heart. He was angry and refused to go in. So his father has to come out. Presumably the father knows that the older brother will not come in, so he has to go out and entreated him. And the way in which it's written there, this is not a come on in, but he has to entreat him. He has to beg him. And I think we might, if we were uh, parents in this situation, this is what I would do. And I'm not saying that this is the right thing. Clearly it isn't. But this is what I would do. I can see why you're upset. I understand. Listen, little Johnny, he had a rough go. I didn't want to scare him off again by getting mad when he came back. You know he's got a sensitive uh, conscience and easily upset. Listen, we'll sort this all out. I'm going to make sure he knows very clearly that what he did will not be tolerated here. And... Who knows what other words could have been said to mitigate the outburst, the righteous outburst of this older brother who is angry because look, he's just come back and there's a party for him after he's squandered away the family wealth. So what do you do when someone has a good complaint? You placate them. You make everything fine. But you see, the parable doesn't work on the terms that we work on as parents. The parable is teaching us something shocking about the nature of God's compassion and love and the kingdom, and it doesn't work on ordinary human rules of engagement. Now, I'm not even saying that necessarily it's, it's wrong to sometimes say, hey, we're going to have to sort this out, you know. Uh, Josh goes and takes the Tesla out for a joyride because that thing's so self-driving and perfect and, you know, goes out and uh, comes back and I've preached this parable tonight and he comes in and I welcome him into my arms and say, well, well, young man, all is well and good. No, we're not trying to be crazy. I'd give him a good thrashing. <laughs> but this is teaching us something very different than what we would say is ordinary parenting in ordinary situations. This is an extraordinary incident. Now, when he says these things, if you keep on picking up on the text, he entreats him, but he answered his father, look, 
These many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, there's a great deal here that needs to be unpacked. The first thing to notice in verse 29 is he says, look. How many times does the older brother address his father as father? He doesn't. Not once. How many times does the younger son address his father as father? Two times directly to him and one time in the way in which he says he's going to speak to him. Three times he addresses him as father. The older brother never addresses him as father. He simply says, look. And so the older son may have been physically closer to the father in terms of proximity, but it seems as though he was relationally quite distant which illustrates the problem, doesn't it? Look, these many years I have served you. And it's the same word we get for uh, slavery. It's where we have the duleo, a Greek word, and it's what we would use for a, a bondservant, a slave. And look at how he understands his relationship to his father. I have slaved for you. He thinks he is a slave rather than a son. And so uh, the older brother who is working on a farm that he basically owns because of his inheritance understands his relationship to his father not in fatherly terms but in slave terms. There is something fundamentally wrong with his heart. And notice, I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. There's someone else this reminds me of actually. I wonder if these words will mean anything to you. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. The Apostle Paul as the Pharisee. Right here in this parable, I have never disobeyed your commandment. He is a rule keeper and he's quite aware that he is a rule keeper, like the rich young ruler who was in the grip of materialism. All these things I have kept. What does Jesus get to the heart of? He gets to the heart of his covetousness. What was it that exposed Paul finally? It wasn't saying, oh Paul, you visited a prostitute. Oh Paul, you got drunk. It was that Paul, sin seizing the opportunity, produced in me all forms of covetousness. It was his heart issue it was the rich young ruler's heart issue and it's the older brother's heart issue. And notice what he says. I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. He doesn't even talk about a fattened calf. He's saying you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now this is quite profound what our Lord is doing here because there is something that is unstated. Who is on the older son's ideal guest list? 
Well, himself and his friends. And who is not on the guest list? His father and his brother. You see, a lot is given away in just what he says here. You never gave me something that I might go celebrate with my friends. You see, this older brother really has no loving relationship with his father. And one of the most important things, if I may just take a little detour for 30 seconds, one of the most important things a child can receive in this world that will lead to future stability of generation after generation is a loving father, a father with which there is closeness. That can overcome so many deficiencies in other areas of living when there is a father who is close to his children. This son knows nothing of that closeness. And he would be happier with a young goat than enjoying the fattened calf with his brother and his father. And so many people actually reject God for what the world can offer. You see what he wants? He wants to have a worldly life. He wants to be with his friends. He wants to party with his friends. He doesn't want to be in the kingdom. He doesn't want to be with his father. He doesn't want to be with his brother. He wants to be enjoying the world on his terms. But when it comes to the shepherd in the first parable, when it comes to the woman who finds her coin in the second And when it comes to the Father, they all have inclusive celebrations. Everyone is welcome. But the older brother, it is not the case. The Father even invites the servants. Come, let us eat and celebrate. That's quite remarkable. But notice how he continues, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... Notice he doesn't say, but when my brother... That's how distant he is. He won't even call him his brother. This son of yours. He's basically divorced himself from the family, not only in terms of his relationship to his father, but his relationship to his brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, there's something else that needs to be said here. The older brother doesn't actually know that he devoured the property with prostitutes. He is merely asserting this. But this is not based upon anything that he can possibly have witnessed. This is his own imagination. It may well be true, by the way. I'm not suggesting that it is outside of the realm of possibility. The point is, a judgmental heart will often get most upset about the things that were part of their own imagination. I'm convinced that this reveals something of his own heart more than it may even reveal something of the younger brother's heart. The first thing he goes to, he has devoured the property with prostitutes. He has no knowledge of whether this is the case, but he merely asserts it. And so he's devoured the property with prostitutes, yet you killed the fattened calf for him. He did what is the very worst and you gave him the very best. All of a sudden, we're starting to see something into the nature of the Gospel. The very worst is replaced with the very best. 
But notice he says something that is not true. And usually when people are being judgmental, they are liars. You killed the fattened calf for him. The truth is, he killed the fattened calf because his son returned, but he killed the fattened calf for everybody. Everyone was invited to the celebration. The older brother certainly was. The father was. The servants were. This was a fattened calf for everyone to enjoy, not just for the younger brother. And then he reasons with him in a most remarkable way. He said to him, Son, so you see the nature of the father. The father hasn't cast him out. The father hasn't said you are not welcome here after your reaction. He still calls him his son. Even though the son won't call him father, the father still calls him his son. Son, you are always with me. My love to you is unconditional. That's what he's saying. And all that is mine is yours. I haven't even reneged on what I promised to you. Nothing has changed. However, you must understand, it is right, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because your brother, yes, your own flesh and blood, was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Why is there no choice for the Father but to hold a celebration? And the answer is very simple. And this basically will sum up everything about why we are here tonight. Everything about Christianity. Everything that's truly important is found in this parable. Why must a celebration happen? And the answer is this. Because resurrection has happened. That's what this parable is about. Resurrection. He was dead but He is now alive. On two different occasions that is stated. He was lost and is found. He was dead. He is alive. You see, resurrection changes everything. That's why the rules go completely out the window when the younger son returns because resurrection has happened. And that's why everything about our life, every rule goes out the window because resurrection has happened. In other words, because resurrection has happened, God is able to do things on His terms, not on our terms. And I think just by one last thought, I'd like you to think about what is the real difference between the two brothers? And I want you to think about if you were to take those two brothers and you were to take the speech of the younger brother who has sinned against heaven and against his father, who was engaged in reckless living, and you were to place him at the foot of the cross, and you were to take the older brother with his speech, all these rules I have kept, and put him at the foot of the cross. And as they look up to Jesus Christ and Him crucified, who needs the cross? The truth is both do, but the truth is it's much easier for the younger brother to see his need of Christ based upon what he has said about himself. And that's why, coming back to my first point, self-righteousness is harder to overcome than sinful living when it comes to the kingdom. Because as our Lord said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. It is not those who are healthy who are in need of a doctor, but those who are sick. And so what does this mean for you and I? 
there may be some here who are more prone to the older brother's type of sin. There may be some who are more prone to that sort of reckless, sinful, don't really have too much of a conscience and they'll go to the younger brother. Don't be fooled. The younger brother truly repented and was welcomed in. But if you find that in your heart you are prone to that self-righteousness, what can you do when you read this parable? What do you do? Do you go, that's it, I'm finished. What do you do? You do what the Pharisees failed to do. And the Pharisees failed to ever go any deeper than the outward man. They only looked at the outward and not the inward. And as soon as you have even a moment's interaction with your own heart, in your own quiet time before you and the Lord, there is no way on earth that you can come away after examining your heart without the realization that you need a true older brother, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died for sinners. Do not allow your righteousness to cloud out what is still remaining in your heart even to this day. And if you should have the courage to stand before God and say, Lord, search me. Search my heart now and let me see what is in it so that I might see what is in your heart more clearly and have your heart overcome all of the vile wickedness that remains in mine. And then and only then can you escape the curse of self-righteousness. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for this teaching. If we are prone to that type of disposition where we feel we have done so well, help us to see what is in our heart so that we might see what is in Your heart. Help us to see Christ so that we might be able to look at the cross and say that we need nothing more in this world than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And help us to remember as well that You are in the business of taking those who are dead and making them alive. And so we praise You for the resurrection life that we experience through Christ our Lord. Amen.